0: This is the Serial at Midnight Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Serial at Midnight Podcast. My name is Heath Holland, and in this episode, we're talking all about Ghost Ghostwatch with the director of Ghostwatch. Now, people in the UK might be more familiar with what Ghostwatch is than those in the United States or maybe other parts of the world, but I realize that the reputation of Ghostwatch uh, outside of, of Britain in the last, uh, really, five to ten years has just it's snowballed. More and more people know about this, as they should. So, just let me give a, a cursory introduction. So, Ghostwatch was this 1992 uh, BBC TV event it was it's essentially a tv movie but it was a documentary it was shot in a documentary style so you're not sure if it's real or not and that's just, if this sounds familiar if you're thinking of the Blair Witch Project or even maybe the WNUF Halloween special things like this all of these you know the VHS found footage thing doesn't exist without Ghostwatch this was really a pioneer so it, it aired on Halloween night the premise was let's go see if there's hey there's this haunted House, let's go see if we can find some ghosts. And they send people that the audience knew, you know, television reporters and uh, TV personalities. And it's, but it's all presented as if it was real. And it was so controversial; it was so upsetting to so many people. Uh, the BBC reportedly received one million phone calls about about Ghostwatch in 1992. So the legacy of Ghostwatch is huge, uh, and we're now celebrating the 30th anniversary. Now you're about to hear my interview with the director Leslie Manning, and she has so many interesting things to say. We learn about sort of how the project took place. Was there how she made it? That's the most interesting thing: is how, like, what went into making this and pulling it off? And were they concerned about a possible backlash? Was there a backlash? Did it affect her create? Or did it affect her career in any sort of? A, a negative way and uh, we're looking at the legacy of Ghostwatch 30 years later but that conversation is not complete without talking about this new uh, a new 30th anniversary Blu-ray presentation for 101 films now if you're watching the video version of this podcast I'm, I'm showing it right now so it is a uh, an incredible I mean this is a truly incredible package so we have the uh, the original presentation of Ghostwatch on Blu-ray with A new 30th anniversary documentary that includes the involvement of um, of so many people that were involved with the production uh there is uh all sorts of of added items so there's a book of essays okay there's uh, a book of um you know sort of an appreciation helping us to put this in context there's art cards that are included the most interesting thing to me and i talk about it with the director is a miniature facsimile edition of the screenplay itself of the script complete with the director's notes there are storyboards in here there are you know things are scratched out things are highlighted we get to see how this actually happened and for for so many you know for for a project that's controversial this is interesting to me because you get to see how it all took shape Uh, so I would be remiss if I did not tell you that ghostwatch has just received a 30th anniversary blu-ray So that informs this conversation That's actually the thing that opened the doorway for me to have this conversation with leslie manning But I think this is fascinating if you ever want to see how It's sort of like a peek inside of a panic is is what this is But you also get to see i'm interested in the craft side of things i'm interested in how how things like this come together so uh, I am so honored that. Uh, that I was able to speak with Leslie Manning here and that she was as forthcoming with answers. I mean, just super easy to talk to. And I think you're going to have as much fun with this as I did. Uh, So here, I'm going to go ahead and cut to it. This is my interview with the director of Ghostwatch, Leslie Manning. How does it feel to be talking about Ghostwatch 30 years after the fact? That
1: was such an interesting question um well we were put in the we were put in the dark for 10 years so because they sort of like covered it up and pretended nothing had happened at the bbc yeah. um for 10 years so 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 we were pretty excited to talk about it when people started to talk about it and it's really when the bfi um published the DVD
0: 10 Which years ago i have that edition right here oh wow
1: yeah cool um so Actually, I don't mind. I really am uh, happy to talk about it 30 years later. And I'm thrilled to bits that people even want to watch it 30 years later. So that's cool.
0: It's well, well. there's places that I want to go in this conversation because the influence on this, the, the influence that you and the the project has had in those 30 years. It's huge. I mean, this thing is it has had such a, a long life and. It's inspired, you know, probably multiple generations of other filmmakers now. Um, I just wonder when you, did you know any of this going into it? I know, like, well, here, let me start here. Where did you, how did you come to, to film and television? I know you've directed theater, you've directed film, you've directed television, you do shorts. Did you, like, when did you know you wanted to do this? Was this like a dream from when you were a small child or did it come, you know, to university? Be a, to be a director just to be in film, just to work with film just to to tell stories,
1: yeah, oh God, so I was an art college kid, um and i um always loved making stuff um my dad always shot super eight, which was a was an i think a big unconscious um lead uh and uh I think really it was at art college I started to show films um and they were quite like some of them were quite obscure and at art college i was watching some obscure films and and then one afternoon i took myself down to the cinema and watched jaws and i thought this is it this is this is this is so so good
0: and you um, you thought to yourself one day i'm going to terrify an entire an entire terrify the entire great britain <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did i did i did write to an american company
1: i think when i was about 17 and said you know can i can i can i work i can't remember which which studio it was of course they they thought i was a boy because of leslie yeah and they said oh no you have to do a little bit more but um yeah
0: i want to hear more about this what did you say you wanted to did you want to do like like how did you want to what what job were you asking for what did you want to do
1: I don't actually I don't know
0: I just the mail room <laughs> I remember I was
1: still at art college I just either anything to be honest anything yeah. any I think I just said I want
0: to come and work for, for your studio well I know you started you know working in you know directing and and uh I- as early as the 80s yeah um what can you just tell me a little bit about I don't want this to just we are here ostensibly to talk about Ghostwatch, but I don't want you to feel limited to just Ghostwatch because I know you've had this rich career before and after. Kind of lead me up to your work before Ghostwatch.
1: Okay, so um, art college, I did start to make films, even though we didn't have any tutor. We just found me and my best friend found a bolex. And so we started to churn film out. We didn't know how to sync it up. I remember being in a room knee deep with bits of mag and bits of film, but we did put stuff together. Um, And then from that, I went into the cutting rooms, um, at TV, BBC cutting rooms, and uh, where I actually thought the hub of the universe of filmmaking is in the edit room. So I I did that for a while and then for, for, for a couple of years and I remember it I was only on holiday release. I'd just been, you know, I'd been employed two weeks, every two weeks for about two years. Mm-hmm. And I went out for this review of and, the, and then they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to direct. And they burst out laughing. So I thought, okay, I need to, I need to, I need to focus a bit on how to do this because it's not going to happen within the industry that way. Mm-hmm. So I um, I had my little art college films and I had my and I had a, a little animated film to be honest um, that I put through the BBC baths for a bottle of whiskey I bribed the guy because they were still they still had film going through for the news r- rooms so every night the bath would go with the news footage um, and um, so I, you know for a bottle of whiskey put my little film through and I applied to National Films and got in and that was a bit of a game changer. Um, so, I because I could make a couple of films and got a, uh, more confident and knew a bit more about what I was trying to do. I came out, did cut music videos um, uh, for the great and the good, and then decided I want to throw it all in and really direct. And um, um, I got a break in TV for first time directors, making a, a, a documentary about. Um, lindy hoppers it was a black dance group that was, was street dance group but who were electric i mean they learned all their stuff from american films they just learned it off you know off secondhand f- from the tv and uh, they were they were brilliant so i made a little film about about them and actually that little promo got me the gig for the tv thing so i've always everything in my life i've had to make it and then remake it you have to prove yourself a lot um and uh, and then i then then i went quite fast through to um to drop that was a little documentary but i went through to drama series serials and then the bbc films and i did a really lovely film um called my sister wife which was all about an asian um thriller um, <clears throat> and from that it was the same producer and we were in the dubbing theatre. And she said, "Look, I've got this script. Would you like to read it? It's a bit techy subtext. you're a girl. can you cope? um and i uh and um, and I said, "No, I'd love to read it. You know, I'm art college. I do I am really, and I did animation. you know, I felt very, very comfortable with um effects or and then so, um, yeah, I love the script. I love the script. I was totally hooked by a moment in the script. um where Michael Parkinson, who's the presenter, goes, there's nothing there and there's something there. And I was just hooked with how that would affect people watching in their sitting room at the door, standing at the door, shouting to the kitchen, Michael Parkinson can't see anything, but I can. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that was, that's how I got to Ghostwatch.
0: oh there's so much that I didn't want to talk about so well let's you talk to the script this this the the new blu-ray edition from 101 films includes like a facsimile of the script with your notes and your annotations there's like little storyboards here I think in the in the I'll try to find them here but there are tons of storyboards I left most of them out on every
1: other page like if you imagine my script every left hand side back you know was covered in Yeah, little thumbnail sketches.
0: For example, I'm gonna hold this up for the camera so that we, (laughs) people can see what I'm talking about. But it's fascinating. So one is fascinating that you were comfortable having this distributed on, you know, as a commercial product, but also uh, just letting people into your process. I think that's very. It's there's like a transparency there that I really respect.
1: As you can imagine, it was a highly technical process because it was. It came from the film department, um, but I insisted we should do it as TV, as on tape, um, which upset the film department because they only made films on film. Um, And uh, so I was hired in that department. So I wanted to make it on tape, but we exploded the whole process out. So it wasn't shot in one night. It was shot over four weeks as a film uh, shoot. More than four and a half weeks. So we shot all the we shot the house first and then the studio and we larded that in behind their head. So everything was incredibly technical in that sense. Every time we looked at the parapsychologist, there would have to be something behind her, either leading into Michael's next thing, or at least a card. So we had to know every time what was on the wall. So technically that wall had never been done before because it wasn't even those video walls had been done, but we had pre-cut VHS, or well, pneumatics going into a million machines to make that wall. So we'd sort of unpicked the whole television language and had to make it work for ourselves. All the cameras were shot individually and taken back into the cutting room and cut by a film editor. So, um, so that little key at the front is all about what is effects, you know, special effects, What is charisma? I, I mean I had a quick look at it. There's tons of charisma, the titling, what could be done before, what had could be done after, what had to be done for that particular day shoot. There were loads of notes that me and the editor were making about what had to be um, available for the day shoot in the studio. So in technically it was it was it was really complex in that way does that answer does yeah that
0: answer? yeah i just wanted to hear kind of your process with because it, it is when you watch the deception is that oh this is happening live we're watching this live even though and, and we can talk about this as well because people some people got it some people didn't but it is an incredibly well thought out well structured well planned um uh production and I have to imagine that so much thought went into it and you, you it sounds like it did. Um talk to me about you like you have the you you kept the screenplay you have the notes and you shared this. you you were okay being trans, that transparent I guess?
1: Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, uh it didn't occur to me that it would ever uh be a problem, I think. Um mm-hmm. uh I mean, uh, there was a lot of storyboarding I didn't show. Um because the drawing so poor um <laughs> uh i don't know uh i i don't know why i'm that i just didn't think it's a problem why do you think people guard it with their lives Seems no very- i just think yeah. that
0: certain artists are very protective of their craft and of their process um And I think that this is great because it represents a learning tool for younger filmmakers and for people like me who can see the work that went into it, see how it actually took form. You know, not everybody's interested in that, but I am. And that's why we have audio commentaries, you know, so many. I remember the early days of DVD and what it meant to be able to sit and watch a film with the person that made the film. And, you know, sometimes they don't have anything to say, you know, well, this is the shot where they just tell you what's happening on screen, but when you can get into the process and the decision-making as a film fan and as a really, we're talking about the arts. I think that's a remarkable thing to share and it's a teaching tool. And it's also, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's ultimately a very educational um, inclusion and so i'm grateful for it but you know not everybody would have some people would have been like oh i don't want to share that
1: i suppose well i i I feel very secure that you know the things that make really good films are the choices that directors make and and writers and designers and editors and And editors uh, yeah and every everybody involved it's the choices that you make guided by you know the director's taste and choices Mm -hmm. and um and i feel those are uh, uh, there's you can you can you can't put your finger on that. What I've shown is my process, how you know how I how I thought, and and I really enjoy my script in the sense because I keep the layers. Sometimes, as you see, I stick over when Stephen and I changed, you know, wanted a line changed, or indeed a character came in as Mike Smith, who was in fact related to Sarah Green in real life. So then it needed it actually needed to be altered so i just stuck it on top because it was pretty much pre you know we were on hard copy so it's instead of keeping printing out it wasn't like on computers so there was an awful lot of cut and paste so yeah so i still think that you know your choices are your own um, yes. but your process is like cool let everybody see
0: that's great um something I'm curious about is uh, do you have to have an element this is a a scary story this is a I don't know would would you consider it horror I don't know it's 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 a unique thing
1: that's interesting
0: Well,
1: I it's called horror I think it's called horror here
0: do you have to have a belief when you approach this material do you have to have a belief in the supernatural story the, the matter itself do you have to have any belief of your own to effectively tell the story or is it just I mean we've talked about the technical aspect of it is it just here's the work that needs to be done does belief and this is it required for this kind of thing
1: I don't think it is required but I do um I do well the the vox pop in the piece were real people with real experiences um, and we interviewed them. They came in to speak to us um, before we filmed them. And I was very humbled by that because they were very grateful. They would come in and be a little bit suspicious of you or aggressive. And when they realized that I, I genuinely was interested to hear their stories, genuinely, mm-hmm. um, uh, they would open up like a confessional. And I, I felt sort of humbled by that because I, I do feel people have experiences. I, I haven't, um, but I, I do feel people. So in that sense, I do believe, I do believe and I, or at least I have respect.
0: Yeah. Well, there is based sort of inspired by, is it the infield poltergeist? Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. And so it, it tapped into a lot of, uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about the, the actual <laughs> event. See, uh, there's a lot of Americans are going to watch this people in the United States. And this was not something, I think it's, it's being found now, you know, I have the DVD and now the Blu-ray and thanks to the new edition, which has lovely new extras, including, you know, uh, a feature that features you and we have the script, more people are discovering this outside of its original audience. Um, yeah. But for those that might know, like, well, what is this? They're just curious. I mean, this was a, it was a it was like a, i've seen the term mockumentary used and i don't that that implies to me that implies like comedy or something like that but it it was a very it was done in a very realistic style uh a story about ghosts uh, you it's halloween night are are we going to see a ghost is essentially what what the documentary is or what the project is um was there a conversation before like as you're coming onto this you know between you and between steven the writer was there any conversation about the 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 war of the worlds thing from you know the orson wells war of the worlds uh scare i guess is what it was kind of a panic that was a, it was a very, you guys kind of repeated that maybe unwittingly but i was just wondering if there if there was any awareness of that and that you might be headed down that path before this this started um it was me- i mean it was me- it was
1: mentioned but we thought we would it, it it was the only thing that was mentioned because like fan footage wasn't even a term then or you know there was tons of terms and uh, examples that hadn't happened um so if i remember it being mentioned by producer and Stephen, um but we weren't setting out to we felt that the, well we we were hoping that maybe for the first 10 minutes people might think it's a live program um but we didn't think we'd get much further than that. So we didn't. I seriously feel. <clears throat> I mean, people use hoax, spoof, or uh, loads of, you know, mockumentary, whatever. And I, I don't know if it shows, but I so didn't approach the work that way. It I does just you. really, I really wanted the story. And this is my approach to any script, really, is from inside out really get under the skin of the script and 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 lift it from the page and do everything I can and um and sort of and slightly riff with it you know but from there and come out with it And once we'd cottoned on to the language once I'd written the language for myself you know I knew the cameras I wanted to use I knew I didn't want to break the language I did on a couple of occasions but because you have to break your own rules and you never should really set yourself rules too many. But like, I I knew the language that I wanted to create and keep pretty pure to it. And so then it sort of opens up hundreds of doors of like, oh, we could shoot it like this. We should like that because you've, you've got this sort of corridor that you can riff off. Did that answer
0: oh, your question? Yeah, I think the challenge too would be getting at people, they're, they're giving performances, but you don't want it to look like a performance. It's got to feel oh. natural.
1: Oh, my God, yeah, that was such an interesting journey. That is That was such an interesting journey because, for me, because, I mean, I asked the actors to watch documentaries and sort of come back with notes. And also, like, I watched tons of documentaries and I was actually really interested in how when people talk about stuff that really affects them, or trauma or bereavement how it's it catches them not on the words so in many ways drama had a different way of you know drama uses subtext in one way and documentary the subtext isn't matched to the words it sort of pops out somewhere else Mm -hmm. and um i found that fascinating and also then working with the people who weren't who weren't um actors like michael parkinson and Sarah Green to an extent, although she'd had training and was yeah, was a bit was a bit more savvy. Like it was it we had to we had to move to make him put him in his comfort zone so that he didn't he he couldn't he wasn't to learn the script, he was then like on auto cue, which actually has its own pretense, and I didn't want that. So we brought that back and gave him points and we said you know you have to hit this point in the script in those chunks with Gillian who was word perfect We, you know we were saying you must uh, you've got to bring out this point and that point and ideally finish on this point and he he got it he was really and then he could then he could mine his own wonderful slightly cynical but very warm interview style which he was famous for in this country. I don't know if he,
0: I don't know. Does he appear across in America at all? Um, Not really. I know him, but I, I, you know, I follow a lot of British productions and stuff. So I know him, but I wouldn't, I don't think most people would know who he is. He did have, he had a reputation for being very
1: generous to his, whoever he's interviewing. Uh, And some interviewers, you can hear and feel it's all about them and not, who they're interviewing but michael parkinson was always very generous about that and uh very interesting to listen and watch and so we wanted to tap into that we wanted to make sure it was his his thumbprint
0: um one of the things that's also interesting to me is that is you're talking in the in the new feature on the blu-ray you talk about how (laughs) there's The the BBC's kind of turning a blind eye to a lot of this while it's happening. You're like, well, it's being filmed. And there, you know, uh there's someone there with building a file of like the concerns that need to be addressed. And they're like, uh, it's okay. And then of course, after when there's like I I believe a million people called to to say about this, and the BBC's like, well, hold on a second. And then there's the file with everything that had been recorded the whole time. Talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Okay, so Richard Brooke, who's great and sadly passed, um uh uh you know there okay so there's a quite a short cha- in those days it was a very short chain of command in the BBC so Ruth you know was my was my producer and her exec was Richard Brooke and both of them you know I have to give a hundred percent credit for the maverick nature and and how they got behind this. And um Richard also Richard was a smart exec and had done two or three really successful pieces of tv um but he he also knew that he that this this could might need some attention and uh, they had regular meetings and he 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 would say oh i've got this i've got this program that i that i just want to talk about and they they go oh yeah yeah richard we all know you've done great work tumble down was brilliant yeah just shut up so he was trying to he was trying to say that, that we should all look at this seriously um and 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 it never happened. And he did actually collate all the minutes. Um, and I sort of have this funny feeling because it's quite a slow burn at the beginning with Ghostwatch. I have this funny feeling that's that they that the execs watched it, watched the first 10 minutes two two nights before it went out and thought, ah, and also not <laughs> not only that, I actually I actually think they couldn't understand the language, they saw the realism and didn't think because I got somewhere in my cupboard somewhere and sort of an email that Richard uh, passed on to me, which was like, oh, what's she doing? How, you know, it's not even drama. It all's just, it's just like, it all looks so real. I mean, what's going on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? Okay, and so then it comes out and it's, you know, we know it's controversial. It's, well, what was the immediate? So I'm like the 1st the of November. What's your I mean, life like? What happens?
1: Well, we could start on the 31st because um, Ruth wanted us off the street, sort of, I think she was still war- in the War of the Worlds mode. And she wanted us off the street so nobody would go, ah, you're not making live TV. So we all had this party uh, in a sailing club in Chiswick, which seemed to me was just a bar and a space with a TV in a corner. And Mike Smith brought some popcorn and it was just a bit of a ru- you know, it was just mm-hmm. a lot. Ruth came back ashen-faced and said, Oh, the phone lines are all jammed. And we put, we, we, you know, it has a flag on the program, um, which we manned twice. So there's BBC phones that would listen to complaints or whatever. And then we, and we, and then we, out of our budget, put a whole nother load of phone, of people answering phones um, because we thought people might be spooked or whatever so they were all jammed and so she was she went oh my god and then the first of november was the tabloids actually it was the sunday papers wasn't it so then uh well they just went mad i mean they just started to dig deep sarah green phoned me and said i'm coming around i've been doorstepped and i thought oh god i'm gonna to have to clean the house <laughs>
0: So okay, so um what was your family's reaction? Like your your close your inner circle? What were did they know about it ahead of time? Did you tell did you warn anybody or did you think that was even necessary?
1: Um no, I just I remember I said I, I showed it to my husband
0: before before, you know, as a
1: rough cut, mm. as a cut in the process, um, and just to see what he thought about it. And um I remember him leaving the city while he was watching, he like just jumped up and went. Oh my God, that works. So um, <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay, so maybe we're okay. Um, yeah, so no, no, nobody, uh, I don't know, no. Okay. Yeah, my dad and mom used the phone and go, oh, well done. <laughs>
0: when something went out on TV. <laughs> you said that it it was, I, I don't remember how you phrased it at the beginning of our conversation, but that for 10 years, this was sort of put in a box. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that?
1: well bbc didn't know how to cope with the attention they didn't know they'd wrong, I think and i i don't really know but i i think they really misunderstood it i don't think that we took them by surprise in the sense that they didn't know about the program that's not true at all mm-hmm. i mean you can't commission a 90 minute drama and not know about it you know it takes years to get there So it's that's not the situation. The thing is, they just didn't understand it. They didn't understand that it was going to work in the way it did. And they also equally, I think it's a huge corporation. And I just think that nobody could take responsibility then or knew how to. And so in the end, it was easier to just put it in the vault and pretend it hadn't happened.
0: Did it affect you negatively? Did that silence from the BBC affect you negatively it's really really do you mean my career (laughs) yeah or personally I mean either either way
1: oh yeah Stephen and I were like we we, it was interesting because I mean we did do some more some more work and a little and then some sort of ghost stories as well but Mm -hmm. um uh there wasn't there was there was a type. If you were walking around the corridor, someone would take you aside and go, oh God, I really love that. They wouldn't, and nobody could say it aloud in the corridor, mm-hmm. you know, for some reason. It was a guilty pleasure that some execs might have had. There wasn't, nobody, yeah, nobody would say it out aloud. It was, it, and it did split people. I think it did split um, some producers. I think they thought that we had broken faith with the nation, auntie had broken mm-hmm. faith with the nation was the phrase and so some loved it and some thought it was irresponsible i think i think that's how it goes did it affect me negatively god you know how how do you how do you know i suppose those those producers who thought it was irresponsible probably wouldn't have employed me (laughs) um i think you know there are so many things there are so many things that uh I don't know. I don't, It's 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 impossible to say.
0: Okay. Well, I, I was just wondering if you know you felt like doors are being slammed, or if these op- you were on a path and then all of a sudden there's a you know a halt. You know, the, the no, no, you you're dangerous. You know that sort of a thing.
1: I think there was a general. Oh God, I just I so can't, I wouldn't be able to tell it and actually, it'd be horrible to think that that was that was the case. Um, but it is. It was difficult. I tell you what, I found difficult actually was and i think might be more pertinent was that i directed um films for tv you know 90 minute films for tv Mm -hmm. and you know um, my sister wife picked up loads of prizes um and was a really good piece of work i think um you know and unusual in its day anyway and and ghostwatch is what it is and uh, there wasn't many. There wasn't really anywhere else for me to go, and that was quite tricky. And people, there was a lot of all those screen ones, which is Ghostwatch was one of those screens. Lots of really good filmmakers. There are a lot of them now in America, but and there were out of ninety one productions, there were three women, and I think that possibly has more of a that possibly has some position in it. So I think it's quite difficult to keep employing women maybe, not so much now, but I just think it's, it was possibly a bit tricky then.
0: Mm. 30 years ago. Do you think that's improving?
1: I hope so, I hope so. I, I, I definitely on the surface it's improving, S- superficially, there's an awful lot of talk, and, and people are getting more breaks, which is great, which just really good. Um, I don't know, it's quite a, you know, it's quite a long history of, second-class citizenship it's quite difficult to reverse I think from unconscious bias no no I do think people are trying re- I do think people are really trying yeah I th- i feel it now anyway interestingly with Ghostwatch coming out for, with this 30-year sort of gathering of you know it seems to still go um, that's good because it, it is a bit more of a positive time for me
0: Tell me a little bit about, uh, I know you followed this with you You directed, there was a ghost, like a TV series that seems similar, similarly related. You directed two of six episodes, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ghosts. Yeah.
0: Was it like, oh, more ghosts. We're doing that again. Or was it something you were happy to do?
1: Oh no, they were great. They were very different. Um, well, they were very, very different because they were much more classical mm. drama stories. So, you know, they, no, no, they were, they were great. Massage I did with Stephen That was huge fun um yeah and then i did uh, three miles up which is which is completely different and um just um all tension i think it's it sort of doesn't have the same endings that steven supplies but yeah it's
0: cool what what's inspiring you what what uh, i know you're doing theater things what stories are attracting you right now and as uh, a follow-up question are those stories harder to find than they used to be you know like are there is there material that, for lack of a better word, is there material that's turning you on? Is there stuff that you're really interested in getting your hands on?
1: Oh my God, there are so many stories I want to tell. Yeah, there's so many good stories out there. Um, I mean, so there's a couple of, you know, there's one I've written that's getting a bit of um, attention. Um, well, two, and then S- Stephen and I got something else. There's so many, there's there are so many good stories. Yes, I'm, yeah, there are, i I do like I do feel my roots are you know jaws jewel, blood simple those are my roots that those are the things I really love. I love the tension um I love to be on the edge of my seat i I'm very hard on British cinema because you know usually in a few frames you can go, oh is this gonna be an am I gonna be sat here you know um Enwrapped for ninety minutes, or am I not? And that's that's. I mean, the only sin I think when I read a script, the only sin is to be bored. That that's the only sin. I don't. I don't care how it comes. I don't. I don't care what it is, as long as I think, oh my god, that's there's something really interesting, and I'm and I really want to know the next moment.
0: Here in America, we're experiencing something where um, it's the the theatrical um they're only making popcorn movies really they are they make movies that aren't popcorn movies but they don't they either don't come to theaters or they're in the, some sometimes my theater i have you know amc is a chain that's purchased like so many theaters in the united states and so they've kind of got a this is my bias it, it, it's kind of got a stranglehold on the theatrical release system um, and some of these smaller independent films probably that you would be interested in making, stories you'd be interested in telling, may show on a Thursday night at 7 p.m. once, and then they leave. They show one time in the theater, but you know, the latest Fast and the Furious movie or whatever is going to be there for weeks and weeks and weeks. And so it, it feels for me it's getting harder and harder to find the kinds of stories that I want to see and that I want to connect with. Um, You're on another side of that. You're on the the, you know, the creative side of that. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to ask you about that is, is there opportunities for the kinds of stories that you want to tell? Or is it just getting, you know, I'm not super familiar with what the theatrical scene in Britain is like right now. When I say theatrical, I mean, cinematic scene. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah. if, If it's, you know, if it's being overtaken by the same kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it is, it is. I mean, the independent film is, you know, if you talk to a producer, they just wince. And if you just, and if you talk to an agent, they wince as well. They just think all that effort, nobody sees it. Nobody makes any money, uh, they think, you know, nine times out of 10. And so it's it's a really, really difficult model financially and business-wise, really difficult. Um, I sort of feel, I feel quite optimistic about it because I think it's in its worst period now, um, and I suppose the optimism I have is, is is that then the budgets get knocked down so low that nobody can ignore it. And then these things bust through, directors bust through um, as well, and, and little stories bust through. And uh, not when I say little, cheap, but big stories. Um, so I, I, I'm always optimistic that it's not going to die. And I, I really do feel, I love, I feel people, I love watching that 90 minute um, you know, story from anywhere as long as i'm not bored um so i do think it will survive somehow i do i do it's just i I, it's in a really bad state it is we have the same thing i mean our cinemas well our cinema chains are are going and really interesting yeah they're sort of a bit dying at the moment what's really interesting in my area now in ealing there's a it's called the ealing project is the only cinema in our vicinity, and it's a community cinema, and it shows all the blockbusters and the independents, and sometimes a piped theatre. So it show it's as you know, and it's got four really great screens. And then the next district, this is London, in in Chiswick, a, a, a suburb of London, they have a private cinema that Cineasts have started, which has got a one Michelin-style restaurant attached to it. There's just really really inventive ways and all of them have these great seats you know and then you can eat and drink there wow. and so i think it's really interesting how things might i don't think it'll go go the independent cinema and well, and the independent project yeah i, I mean I like it, if, it's incredibly difficult if you go mainstream also our one of our major problems is being satellite to you a bit is that you know you get a great script you feel the money can come but it's it's all dependent on the star and now since covid as well you know they're all double banked and booked for six years on you know netflix and you know up and down and across and so is that a good thing or is it a bad thing so the independents now can't find their little name to make them even slightly viable Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe there'll be more stars created like next Netflix is creating stars.
0: Well, on the note of Netflix, how do you feel about creating, uh, you know, programs, films, shorts that are for a primarily digital, you know, they're going straight to a digital platform. Do you do you mind that? Do you like that?
1: I I really, um, well, you know, I really, really don't mind because Television and or what you see on your screen that's made for the streamers and television is very high quality now, and I um in when I started it was like if you are in TV it was a real struggle to get across to film, um but but now if you're in TV you know it's there's crossovers all the time so I, I honestly to, for me it's all about storytelling it really really is all about storytelling I don't care if it's Super Eight, um Netflix I really don't i think if it's a great you know if you if you're there and you get it and you somehow pass over something to your audience uh i think that's the that's the brilliant thing
0: well i definitely want to recommend people to your website leslie manning.com because they can see some of the i don't are there any entire films up there i know that there's a few uh clips they can see your work is my point yeah yeah um so i'd like people to go check that out where where else would you reference people are you Doing any theater work right now? Are you undertaking anything else?
1: Uh, no, I'm really trying to make this film. We're trying to find an independent film. We're trying to make find the the last bit of money. Um, uh, I am I am doing theater in the middle of the year. We we, we found a venue for that. So, um, God, it's all about money. If someone gave me loads of money, I'd make loads of films.
0: Just putting that plug right in there. Do a Kickstarter or like an yeah, yeah. A Go campaign or something. Yeah, no. All right. Well, I I don't want to take up any more of your time. This has been an absolute pleasure, and I appreciate your uh, your honest answers. And it's just been a, it's been a delight. Thank you. It's been been a huge pleasure. All right, there you have it. That's an amazing insight into a global phenomenon that is still picking up steam. You know, it was a UK event when it first happened, but now this is becoming an annual tradition. Ghostwatch is becoming an annual tradition in different parts of the world. Uh, different, you know, t- TV streaming networks are picking up on this, and it's really becoming this, uh, this, this annual tradition of of Halloween and what what uh, remains like a, a landmark of of basically scaring the pants off the public. Uh, so once again, I'm going to reference you to the Ghostwatch. 30th anniversary Blu-ray. If you if you've never seen it or if you love the movie, you got to check out this Blu-ray release. That is uh, includes heavy involvement from the people involved with the, the the film itself. And I will put links in the description of this so that you can easily pick this up. Support Serial at Midnight. and Get something awesome for yourself. But uh, I just had a blast with this conversation. I thought that uh, Leslie Manning was incredibly easy to talk to and had so much. Insights into uh, just how drama works and what's necessary to create the best story you really get to see for me the as I say uh, earlier in my introduction the, the craft aspect of this is what's interesting to me because how does something like this happen. And we, I'm just, I'm really grateful that I was uh, able, that I had this opportunity. So guys, we have so many more cool things coming up for this podcast. We are not slowing down. This is picking up steam. So I want you to definitely be a part of it. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please review this podcast. If you are watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to the channel. Give those thumbs ups. The best thing that you can do is to engage. So if that's a comment, if that's a review, if that's telling your friends, uh, posting this on some message boards for the things that we talk about however you can do it i would just really appreciate you helping to get the word of this podcast out there because the the competition is stiff you guys it is so hard to get noticed at this stage in the podcast game when everybody's you know it's such a flooded marketplace uh but i know you're here because you appreciate the content and i want to thank you for that uh, exciting things coming up um i have so many things that are either already recorded or that are about to be recorded that i cannot wait to share with you so please subscribe so you don't miss anything guys i appreciate you so very much take care and until next time i will catch you later